utilizing our children's ministry. We, we run that through first grade, and you are most welcome to take your children uh, back there now. For those of you whose children stay in the service with us, um, they are most welcome in the service with us. <clears throat> Each week, we um, read a paragraph from our Confession of Faith, which is the Second London Confession of Faith, commonly known as the 1689 or 1677 uh, London Confession of Faith, and we are this morning beginning uh, chapter 11, and I'm going to read to you paragraph 1, and the, the confession is in the pew in front of you, or it should be, if you want to read along, but it's up here on the screen as well, and uh, this is a good foundational definition for us of justification, and so this is what the confession says, again, taking into account the sweeping testimony of Scripture as it relates to this precious doctrine. It says, those God effectually calls, he also freely justifies. He does this not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and accounting and accepting them as righteous. He does this, and this is crucial, for Christ's sake alone, and not for anything produced in them, meaning in us, or done by them, meaning us. He does not impute faith itself, the act of believing, or any other gospel obedience to them as their righteousness. Instead, he imputes Christ's act of obedience to the whole law and passive obedience in his death as their whole and only <clears throat> righteousness by faith. This faith is not self-generated. It is a gift of God. And that's the reason we can have confidence in our salvation is because it is based on Christ alone. It is not based on us. And that's truly good news. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. And we are going to look at, I'm going to read chapter one. I'm going to, or not the entirety of chapter one. I'm going to read the first four verses but this morning, we are going to camp out for the most part just on the first two verses, or really verse one and the first part of verse two. And uh, we are in our second week in this Christmas series that we're doing uh, as we contemplate together Jesus as creator, Jesus as prophet, Jesus as priest, and Jesus as king. And this morning, we are going to contemplate together Jesus as prophet. And I've titled this sermon, Jesus as Prophet, God Speaks. And we'll see um, the close association between prophet and God speaking as we work through our text this morning. But this is the word of the Lord. This is Hebrews, if you're familiar with it, is, is a sermon. If you were to read it, it, it very much, uh, it doesn't read like a letter. It reads like someone preaching. Um, and, and that's a good way for us to think about it as we read the book of Hebrews. Uh, I think, I don't know for sure, that the Apostle Paul is the one who gave this sermon um, however, there's a diversity of opinions on that. But either way, uh, the sermon being preached was originally to Hebrew Christians. And so the preacher to the Hebrew Christians under the inspiration of the Spirit said this, <clears throat> God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed <coughs> heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, 
who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for time together as a church family in your word again. And God, I pray that you would, by your spirit, help us, God, to think through these first couple of passages, Lord, these first couple of verses. Help us to think rightly, Lord. I pray you'd help me have clarity of thought. I pray you'd help me have clarity of speech this morning. And Lord, as a result, that we would truly be a people that increase week by week, Lord's day by Lord's day in our savoring of Christ Jesus, in our seeing him more clearly. And Lord, that that in turn would shape us to be men, women, and children that bring honor and glory to your name. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I told you last week, we, you know, we hear about Jesus, you know, or maybe this is new to some of you, but for any of you that have been in church life, church culture for any length of time, you have probably heard of the threefold office that Christ has fulfilled. Christ is prophet, priest, and king. And, and, uh, but, um, I would be curious as to how much of us have given, uh, proper, you know, consideration to its significance for us. And, uh, and over the next couple of weeks, my, my aim is to think through together the significance of Christ as prophet, the significance of Christ as priest, the significance of Christ as king. And the passage, my main passage for us this morning is one that I've, I've quoted uh, uh, r- really in passing over these last two weeks, if, if this you know, sounds familiar to you. We've kind of looked at this from different angles over the last few weeks, but this is going to be um, my primary text for us as we consider Jesus as prophet. I'm going to take us to a couple of other places that speak to Jesus as prophet, but this is where I want us to to camp out on. But the, the first thing that we need to do really is to consider together uh, what is a prophet? Right? What is the definition of Prophet, right? That's a preliminary question that we need to answer in order for us to consider the significance of Christ as prophet. And this is my <clears throat> fundamental definition for prophet. And, and, and with anything, this could, of course, be tweaked. Perhaps you would tweak it a little bit. But I think that this is a good shorthand definition for us. And, and I'm going to give it to you. I'm actually going to give you two definitions. I'm going to give you a definition in two different ways. But a prophet in the biblical sense, was an authorized messenger that God spoke through, which is critical, and proclaimed the way to be right with God. So a prophet in the biblical sense was an authorized messenger that God spoke through and proclaimed the way to be right with God. I'm going to put it another way for us, even shorter way perhaps. A prophet proclaimed, thus saith the Lord... And at times this included new revelation. Okay, a prophet proclaimed, thus saith the Lord, and at times this included new revelation. In the Old Testament, for instance, 
We see prophets calling God's people uh, to repentance and faith and warning of judgments. Right? Sometimes these judgments were what uh, we materialists, and because we downplay the supernatural so often post-enlightenment, but sometimes these judgments were what we would deem natural disasters, when in fact it is God who is behind them. Some of these judgments of God, they came through pagan nations taking his people captive through wars. We also see God speak through the prophets to remind his people of their covenant obligations, to do things like flee idolatry, Right, which is so pervasive, even right, even now, nothing new, right? To pursue, right, in turn, flee idolatry and pursue fidelity to the triune God. We see the prophets charge God's people to raise children to know and fear the Lord. We see the prophets charge God's people to worship God the way that God prescribed. Right? It's not left up to our imaginations as it relates to how we are to worship the one true God. We're not to worship the one true God the way pagans worship their gods. Right? We see that in the Old Testament. Right? But if we shorthanded it, right, the prophets were consistently calling God's people to live as God's people. They were calling God's people to be distinctive, to be set apart. And and many times these warnings of judgment and these warnings of covenant obligations, they had an element of future telling to them. In other words, what what was to to come eventually? This is part of what it means when uh, we think about the term uh, to prophesy, that prophets were prophesying, right? They spoke new revelation. They spoke about things that were to come, they spoke about things that were to be fulfilled. And we see that there was a progressive nature to this as we read the scriptures. Today, a lot of people talk about gifting in the church. Right? And, and you, you may have heard someone say that they have the gift of prophecy. And what they mean usually when they say that is, uh, or what I would hope that they mean, is that they're a truth teller. Right? They tell the truth. Now, it is correct to say that a true prophet of the Lord is a truth teller. In fact, a, a false prophet, a, a prophet who would prophesy lies, uh, they would be put to death in Old Testament times for their false prophecies. Deuteronomy 13 indicates that for us. But the definition of a prophet as a truth teller really is too much of, it's a reductionistic uh, way of defining um, uh, prophet. It's, it's, it's too stripped down from what the prophets in Scripture were and what the prophets in Scripture did. In other words, we, we shouldn't think of ourselves or call ourselves prophets, right? It, because it's more than truth-telling. Now, prophesying, and I mentioned that word already, but prophesying is a word that we don't use often. Uh, I, I, I don't hear that word often and, unless you perhaps are in more charismatic circles. Uh, but preaching used to be called prophesying. There, there's a book that a reformer named William Perkins wrote in the 1500s that is, is called The Art 
of prophesying. And what he meant by that was preaching. He meant the task of opening up the scripture and the pastor proclaiming, thus saith the Lord, right? In his day, people thought of prophesying as preaching. There, there was a, a, a distinguishing between what the pastor did in the pulpit and what the prophets of old did. And preaching, obviously, is my task, it's what I'm supposed to do, and I'm accountable to God to rightly interpret and proclaim God's word to you. And, and, and I feel the weight of that task uh, every single week. I feel the weight of the words that I use. I feel the weight of the things that I say to you from the pulpit. But what I'm not doing is prophesying to you. Uh, at least in the way that the prophets in the scripture prophesied. God's not speaking to me or through me the way he did the prophets, right? God speaks to me and through me by his written word, right? That you can all look at and examine and test. And he does that according to the power of of his Holy Spirit. But I'm not prophesying in the full sense of the act as we see it in Scripture. That was, that was unique. So preaching isn't really the same thing as prophesying. I'm, I'm a pastor and I'm preaching to you the recorded words of God and I'm dependent upon the Spirit of God as I do that, but I'm not prophesying. I'm not breathing new revelation. I'm not telling you things that should now be documented or added as an appendix in God's word. Right? So, so a prophet, was he was an authorized messenger that God spoke through and proclaimed the way to be right with God. A prophet was a person that proclaimed, thus saith the Lord, and that at times included new revelation. Right? I proclaim, thus saith the Lord, but I'm not giving you new revelation. There is a difference. Okay, so, so that's a little bit of preliminary work for us this morning. But what I want to do now is zoom in on Hebrews chapter 1. And again, particularly verse 1 and uh, the, in the first part of verse 2. And so look at your Bibles, kind of keep your Bibles open with me as I work through this text. Okay, verse 1 of chapter 1. God, okay, it's the subject here, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Okay, if you're taking notes and kids, you can look on with your parents here. Right? The first thing I want us to see is that God speaks. He speaks, and that's the only reason that we can know him truly. Okay, God speaks, and that's the only reason we can know him truly. We have what's called natural or general revelation. And kids, when, when I say natural revelation or general revelation, what that means is that we can look at everything that God's created and we can tell that there was someone who made that, right? That it was God who made that. But it doesn't follow from us being able to observe that this world has been created, that you and I have been created. It does not follow that the creator is knowable, right? Just because we, we, we recognize that there is a creator does not mean at the same time that that creator is knowable, that we can know him. Right? The only reason that our creator, that our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is knowable is because he has spoken. 
He's spoken, which is what theologians call special revelation, right? So you have natural or general revelation, then you have special revelation that God speaks. And even then, our triune God can't be known fully, but we can know him truly. We can know him truly, right? Our God is there, and he's not silent. He is the God who speaks. And this is what we see the preacher to the Hebrews say in verse 1. He says that God spoke. He spoke. And he spoke in different ti- at different times, and he spoke in different ways, which means, if you're familiar again with your Bibles, God spoke at times in visions. Right? God spoke through dreams. Right? God sometimes spoke plainly. Like I think about Moses and Numbers chapter 12, verse 7, when, when it talks about the Lord speaking to Moses face to face. But he has spoken at different times and he's spoken in different ways. And in this text that we're looking at, the preacher to the Hebrews, he acknowledges that God spoke to the fathers to quote, he says, our fathers, which if you're familiar again with this sermon that's preached here in Hebrews, you know that he's talking primarily to Jewish Christians, right? And it, this would have signaled to them that God spoke to those whom the scriptures belong to primarily, right? God spoke to the Jews in the prophets, right? And I use that word in intentionally. The NKJV, <coughs> which is the translation I read to you a moment ago when I was reading the first four verses of Hebrews, doesn't use the word in. And I think that that's a mistake. The, the NKJV says that God spoke by the prophets, but the Greek word translated as by, it literally means in. God spoke in the prophets. And the reason that word in is significant is because, again, these, these Hebrew Christians, these Jewish Christians, they would have confessed that God is a speaking God and that he's speaking in the prophets. In other words, it's his words. In other words, it's his voice to them through the prophets, in the prophets, right? God's the one doing the speaking as the prophets of old prophesied. And it's here I want us to see that the the word of God and the prophet of God are inseparable. The word of God and the prophet of God are inseparable. There is a special significance that's given to the words of God. Now, in our day and age, right, people claim to be speaking for God plenty. Right? Maybe you got some of those people in your life, right? It just seems God's talking to them all the time and he always has something to say to you through them, right? <clears throat> Maybe you've had people tell you that, right? But God really spoke in the prophets of old and the standard of what they were prophesying was perfection, it was perfection. Not right 99% of the time. Right? 99% of the time got you killed. Right? The standard was 100% of the time. Right? Claiming that God is speaking to you. Again, in the way in which, um, I, I, I'm not talking about the Lord by his spirit um, burdening you with something as you're, as you're reading the word of God. Right? I'm talking about a, a very special way in which God spoke in the prophets, claiming that it's not trivial. 
It's a very weighty thing. That's why in my definition, I put that a prophet was an authorized messenger that God speaks through. That's how they were viewed. That's how they were viewed. That is what was happening at the time. That's what the preacher to the Hebrews declares in his sermon. God at various times and in various ways spoke. He spoke. How did he speak? In the prophets. He spoke in the prophets. The church understood when they heard that, that that wasn't them. It wasn't them. That wasn't every believer. Right? These were specific people, and specific people would have come to mind when they heard the preacher to the Hebrews say this. Primarily, the Old Testament scriptures would have come to mind. Again, the prophet of the word, or the prophet of God and the word of God, inseparable. <clears throat> now, this idea of God speaking and his using prophets to do it, it brings up a couple of things for us that I want to show you that you can shorthand, uh, and you can shorthand this in your notes. And I want to say that I'm indebted to a, a pastor named David McWilliams for helping me to see this and, and think through this a bit more. But the first thing uh, or, or, or that, that we should, I think, think about as we're contemplating God speaking is that Prior to the fall, it was normal. It was normal. It was natural for God to communicate to man. Silence from God is unnatural, and it's a consequence of us breaking fellowship with him. But we see just how natural communication with God was in the first few chapters of Genesis. And again, prior to sin, man enjoyed unhindered fellowship with God, but sin introduced a new normal, separation, silence, loss of access to the Holy of Holies, a barrier to the fellowship that was once so natural, right? The creature enjoying the company <clears throat> of his creator. So that's the first thing, right? Prior to the fall, it was natural for God to communicate with man, natural for God to fellowship in a particular way with man. The second thing for us to note is that one of the chief ways we see this intimate fellowship, it really is by God speaking. We see that in scripture. This intimate fellowship is, is, is demonstrated to us through the God who speaks, right? I said this a moment ago, but apart from God speaking, he, he, he would be unknowable. He would be unknowable. The, the chasm would never be crossed unless God himself crossed it, came over. We didn't cross it. He crossed it. It's all of grace, his crossing of this great chasm, right? And he did that through the word, right? So God communicated through speaking. He communicated through the word, and we'll revisit that a little bit more in just a moment. And the third thing is, and I, and I mentioned this just a second ago, is that God's gracious in that he still spoke to man through in the prophets. He still spoke to man in the prophets. Right? That's what we see asserted in our text this morning. Right? God spoke in the prophets. He didn't stay silent. He didn't leave us without the capacity to know him. He called particular people. Right? Some were eager prophets like Isaiah who volunteers. Right? Here am I. What? Send me. 
right? And then God sends him and tells him, listen, I'm going to send you, but nobody's going to listen to you. And then we see some prophets were more reluctant, like the prophet Jeremiah, or we think perhaps of Jonah, who ran away, thought he could run away from the Lord. But God called these prophets and he spoke in them his message so that people, sinful people, might hear from him. And his message, as we look through the Old Testament, it was one because we have the privilege. We're such a privileged people to have the entire canon of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation. And as we especially read those prophets of old, we see that there was a progressive nature of unfolding as you go along, right? Something or someone that was being anticipated. We see that. This move toward a conclusion, this move toward a fulfillment as the prophets prophesied. And that's exactly where the preacher to the Hebrews, again, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, that's exactly where He takes us. Look at verse 2, first part of verse 2. God has in these last days spoken to us in his son. And again, that word by is used, but the word is in a son. It's interesting to me that this is how the whole sermon begins in Hebrews. These These are the opening words, the introductory remarks He just jumps right in. And it's what the Holy Spirit of God for us so many years later wants us to see first and foremost as we open this book. As we're reading Hebrews, we see Jesus up front as the last, the final, the superior prophet. The, The culmination of all the prior prophecies that came from all the lesser prophets. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Jesus is the completion of God's revelation to man. He's the completion of God's revelation to man. He's the completion of God's speaking. Our text says, in these last days, In other words, in the remaining days, who do we look for to hear God speak? Who do we look for as it relates to God's word, right? Who do we look to to communicate to us all that God has said? We look to Jesus, the final prophet of the Lord, the one who fulfills forever that particular office. As one commentator puts it, the preacher in Hebrews is saying, the past has given way to better things. And I love that summary, right? And if you're familiar, again, with the book of Hebrews at all, you read the preacher there laboring to show these Hebrew Christians who were tempted, by the way, to abandon their Christian faith and to go back to Judaism because of persecutions and pressures and, and, and being impacted economically, right? losing jobs or not being allowed into the synagogue, which was their primary community for their whole lives. They were now this ostracized community facing all of these pressures. 
And the preacher says, Christ is superior. Christ is better. Right? Don't go back to the old ways. Because if you look at the old ways correctly, you will see that the old ways were always pointing you toward this superior way. This superior person. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the God-man, the final word of God. And that's the completion of God's revelation, right? It's what we're hearing from Christ. It's the gospel. It's the good news. Again, it's what the prophets in times past, meaning the Old Testament scriptures, is what they were directing us toward. They pointed toward that future Savior, who would deal decisively with our sin. Right? They were pointing toward the one who would bring deliverance. Right? And this is an aspect of Jesus as prophet. Jesus as prophet, he brings all the other prophecies into clarity, into focus. Right? He makes all of the progressive revelation that we're reading about as we go from Old Testament to New Testament, right? He makes that come to a, a head. Jesus, as prophet, declares to us that our sins really are forgiven. And he was the only prophet that could do that. Let me show you what I mean by that. I'll take you to a couple of other passages of Scripture quickly. First, look with me, look with me to John chapter 1, verse 19 to 21 is what I want to show you. This is this is John the Baptist answering the Jews as it related to his identity. And, and it's a confusing lining of questioning if you're not familiar with Jesus being the prophet. Start with verse 19, going down to verse 21. Now, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem, right from the holy city here, and they, here's the question they ask him. Who are you? John the Baptist confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Right? And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Now, here we see John the Baptist clear that he's not the Christ. He's clear that he's not Elijah. He's clear that he's not the prophet. Now, why did the Jews ask about him being the prophet specifically? Why did they ask about that. Turn over with me. You can put your finger on John 1 because I'll take us back there in just a minute, but put your finger or flip over to Acts chapter 3. I'm going to read to you verses 22 to 26. <coughs> this is a sermon that Peter preached to the Jews after the ascension of, of Jesus from Moses, okay, one of the prophets of old Moses, perhaps the most revered of the prophets. For Moses truly said to the fathers, quote, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold of these days. So there's agreement between the other prophets and between the revered prophet who is Moses, right? You are sons of the prophets, right? Again, he's speaking primarily of the Jews first and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed, right? There we are as Gentiles. 
to you first, God having raised up, and here we go, his servant Jesus Christ sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Christ is the prophet that Moses spoke about. Christ is the prophet that the other prophets in the Old Testament talked about, right? And this is Peter specifically using Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 to 22 as his sermon text and expounding on it, preaching that and applying it specifically to Jesus, right? There was an understanding that this prophet that was to come, he harmonized or he was in continuity with those prophets of old, but there would be a qualitative difference. There would be a qualitative difference between this prophet, the prophet, and those prophets of old. And again, that's what the author of Hebrews, the preacher to the Hebrew Christians, was preaching. Again, the superiority of Jesus, right? The, the supremacy of Christ, right? He is the final and superior prophet of God. This is why he is the completion of God's revelation, right? As God, he, Jesus, makes everything make sense, right? He is, as the apostle Paul put it in Colossians chapter 2, verse 17, he is the substance of the shadow. So John the Baptist, who could be considered, is considered by many, the last of the Old Testament prophets, if you will, right? He was the one who prepared the way of the Lord, and he made it clear that he was not the prophet, right? He was not the one to whom Moses' prophecy talked about, right? He's not who Peter would later preach about in his sermon. The final prophet is the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is prophet, according to Peter's sermon, according to Acts chapter 3, verse 26, he's the one who blesses us Jew and Gentile, he blesses us by turning us away from our iniquities, our sins, our transgressions of the law of God. There's nothing that we're waiting on that is better than Jesus. And his prophetic message to us really is, it is finished. It is finished. He descended by taking on flesh and going to the cross and facing death, facing the wrath of God for our sin. And he ascended right, through his bodily and eternal resurrection, proving our justification, proving that we've been made right with God. And then he actually ascended to the right hand of God where he's ruling and reigning. So the message is clear of the prophet. The message is clear from Jesus Everything needed to make you right with God, everything needed to make me right with God has been accomplished. And we hear this as the sweeping testimony of the New Testament as the divinely inspired authors labored to take the Old Testament and show us that Jesus is the completion of it, the culmination of it, the fulfillment of it. John 1 Verses 1 to 2, perhaps your mind's already gone there. In the beginning was the what? The Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. We see here the deity of the Word. We see here the deity of the final prophet 
of God, right? This Jesus has always existed. This prophet is the divine prophet. That's why he's qualitatively different or other, right? He's the one whom all others testified about. He's the only one, he's the only prophet that is worthy of our worship. He's the only prophet that is worthy of our devotion. He's the only prophet that could come and set things, cosmically speaking, right. Verse 14 of John 1, and the word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Emmanuel, we hear a lot about at Christmas. God what? With us. God with us. All right, if God speaking made God knowable, then the word made flesh and dwelling among us made reconciliation and made relationship possible, right? God drew near to us through the incarnation, through the word made flesh. So this morning, right, we look to Christ. Again, Christ makes everything make sense. He makes the path to be right with God, the path toward peace with God. He makes it clear for us. He's the prophet who tells you. He's the prophet who tells me, who reminds us the significance of repentance and faith as he demonstrates to us over and over again through the word that he is the object of our faith as we walk in repentance. He's accomplished everything to make us right with God. There's no new revelation coming because there's no other deliverer. There's no other savior. There's no other prophet to make us right with our maker. 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God are yes and in him, in Christ. Amen. To the glory of God through us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you. Lord, that in what can be considered, not times past, but last days, Lord, we thank you you've spoken to us in your Son. Jesus is the final prophet of God and the one whom all other prophecies terminate. God, we confess that they were signposts. And Lord, we're so thankful that Christ has done everything necessary to make us right. We thank you that he preaches to us the message that it's finished. And it's that we contemplate further now as we come to the Lord's table. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.